Digital, digital, digital. This episode is all about digital technology for advisors. Are banks making big bets on robo-platforms? You bet. What are some of the trends in digital? And what is the third wave of digital advice? All this and more you will discover on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and the technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. Hello again to everyone in the wonderful world of wealth tech, and welcome to another episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, and I'm a consultant, and my firm helps wealth management firms make better strategic decisions about their technology. And on this show, I bring you the latest ideas from the brightest people who are on the cutting edge of innovation in our space. This episode, as I said before, is digital. Things we used to call robo-platforms, digital channel enablers, everything, every euphemism we could think of for this type of B2B to C technology. And this episode, I'm happy to have uh, the founder and CEO of digital advice technology firm called Marstone. Uh, it's Margaret Hardigan, who is the co-founder and CEO. Uh, Margaret and I were introduced by my good friend, our good friend in common, Kelsey Weaver. Shout out to Kelsey. A couple of years ago, back at the Fiserv conference out in Las Vegas, where we were fortunate enough to sit together at dinner and uh, learn a lot about what Margaret was doing with Marstone and where she was going. And she's moving very quickly to build out the firm and, and make a lot of deals and make a lot of partnerships. And, and I think it's an interesting conversation we had to discuss uh, some of the aspects of, of her business how Marstone is moving into the space, some of their some of the big client deals they're signing, how they're working with credit unions and banks, community banks, things called third-party management firms that help banks get into the wealth space, and just everything about how uh, things are changing trends in uh, digital advice. It's a it's a great episode. I really enjoyed recording it, and I know you're going to like it. So here it is. Welcome to this episode of Wealth Management Today, and I'm very excited to announce my guest today is Margaret Hardigan, co-founder and CEO of digital advice technology provider, Marstone. Hey, Margaret. Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. We rescheduled this a number of times, back and forth, back and forth. I'm so glad we got it on the calendar, and, and we're actually talking here. Me too. Me too. Thanks for being accommodating. Uh, and I wanted to thank you for being accommodating. And I'm traveling. I'm on. I'm on the West Coast. I'm turning my head to the left. I'm looking out a, a big window on the um, Pacific Ocean here in Santa Monica. When where are you right now, Margaret? I'm in Rhode Island. 
Uh, so Marstone has locations in New York and then uh, a growing presence in Rhode Island. So I'm in the southern part of the state today, but we have an office in Providence, which I will be back at um, after this call. So we're almost as far apart as you can physically get and still be in the continental United States. Exactly. Exactly. And we're, and we're podcasting live with technology. <laughs> so let's jump right off. So much interesting stuff is happening with Marstone. You're really, you guys are really knocking it out of the park. Let's just jump right in and talk about the deal with HSBC. Can you give me some background? How did it come about? How long did it take? Uh, you know, what, what was, you know, what really, you know, pushed those guys over the edge to, to pick you? Well, thank you. As you know, Marstone was probably the first to be a true enterprise uh, wealth management platform. By that, I mean, we were the first ones to go B to B to C. So we were never a direct-to-consumer platform that then expanded into institutional uh, business. We really felt, given our experience uh, as a team who had previously been in financial services, that while we thought we had the right engagement model uh, for clients to work with their in, you know, institutional partners, whether they had an advisor or they did it self-direct, we really felt that partnering with institutions was the smartest path forward. And we felt that it was important to integrate to what we considered the backbones of financial services. So on the wealth management side, that is typically a custodian or you know portfolio management provider or something like that. But the custodian really dictates a lot of the rules of engagement that a bank or insurance company or RA or credit union acts upon or within those borders when they have a wealth management business. Um, on the banking side, as you know really well, it's the core processing companies, the ISERFs, the FISs, Jack Henry's that sort of dictate a lot of the rules of engagement in banking. So knowing that those were sort of the pillars of the backbones that drive wealth management and banking, we thought, let's look at one of the largest globally positioned companies that works with really the largest companies in the world all the way down to the smallest. And let's see if they're interested in partnering with us for a digital wealth platform uh, that will enable their institutions electronically onboard clients and not have to use paper documents and have manual entry and let us integrate into their workflow processes, whether it's single sign-on technologies for account enrollment or it's statements, books, and records. And so we just, we uh, had been working with uh, BNY Mellon Pershing and we had really long discussions probably for more than a year about what we were doing, how we wanted to partner, how we did not want to disintermediate them or their clients, but how we could be an incredible agent, both to Pershing as well as their clients to help them retain and acquire uh, assets and clients and talent. And in hindsight, it was kind of a wild thing to do because that was putting a lot of chips on black that you would get such an August firm like Pershing to want to work with you and believe in your vision and then work shoulder to shoulder with you. Um, but it paid off. And Marston was the first platform to uh, be chosen by Pershing. We um, won that mandate over an incredible field of very worthy competitors. And together we worked through new API suites and new strategies. And HSBC, it apparently had been very interested in pursuing digital wealth and uh, financial planning for a long period of time. It was very excited not only by Marstone's um, user experience and its decision 
to really make everything as seamless as possible and frictionless for them to be able to adopt us. But you're also interested in other chapters of our roadmap um, with financial planning and things of that nature. So it, it, because we were first, um, it was a longer process. I think, you know, Pershing announced us and then together we can work on our collaborations and simultaneously work with HSBC. And you know what it's like to work with large institutions. Sometimes the timelines aren't things that you can control and they can be a bit protracted, but it's been a really rewarding experience both working with Pershing as well as HSBC. And um, we're proud to say, as you know, that we are, uh, we announced that partnership at the end of 2018. And what was nice is that we announced it having already done all of the integration and development work. And uh, it's in the final stages of pilot right now and people are using the platform. So yeah, I do know about the large institutions timelines. I've, I've dealt with them. I'm dealing with them now <laughs> in my business. Here. It's not easy. It's frustrating. They, they move slowly. So the fact that you got it done, it, it, it's, that's an accomplishment, just getting it done. Uh, it's sometimes getting, just getting a phone call back. Thank you. Accomplishment. But so what was the big value added that HSBC saw from the many options you offer? Was it the electronic account opening? Was it just pursuing digital wealth? Was it the future financial planning? Which, which piece was the big, the big uh, lift for them? I think it was uh, first the user experience. Second was our flexibility to be a platform where they could benefit from our design sensibilities and our strategy of how to best engage a client and onboard the client. Definitely, it was electronic onboarding. At the time, Morrison was one of the only um, platforms that actually enabled electronic onboarding. Uh, I don't even think Pershing was necessarily doing it with their clients previous to that. So that was, that was seen as an incredible benefit. It offered a lot of efficiencies in terms of productivity, straight through processing, elimination of manual errors. So it, people saw it as a, a very um, great cost-cutting avenue. But I think it definitely the, the willingness to partner with Pershing and abide by all of the, the rules of Pershing's engagement that they already had with their clients was very, very compelling. Because as you know, financial services, like all companies, they're very risk-averse. And they really want to mitigate risk as much as possible. So the idea that we were willing to, to do the hard work of integrating uh, into an extraordinary back end like Pershing was something that was not lost upon them. Uh, they, it enabled them tremendous benefits, such as in the same books and records. And like I said before, a lot of the analog procedures and workflow processes and activities were then digitized. But they also really appreciated our flexibility to allow them to run their own models or to use outside models, as well as to configure our platform, whether it was the risk tolerance questionnaire or to abide by their global standards from a design and branding standpoint. And I think um, at the time, we were probably the most flexible. And the reason we knew to be flexible is we had come from the industry and we knew that every financial advisor feels that he or she is entrepreneurial and has their own value proposition, which is accurate. But certainly every RA, every bank, uh, every you know asset management company feels that way too. So we knew we always had to be flexible and agnostic to things such as portfolio management, custodial backends, performance engines, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that flexibility and that true enterprise genesis was were super compelling to HSBC. Flexibility is important. And it, it would allow them to basically create their own experience. And 
as you said, every firm has their own secret sauce. And they, while they're all in the same business, they want to do things a little differently. So be able to deliver their own custom UX is, I'm sure, incredibly valuable. You know, you, you really, you, you sort of downplayed your, your accomplishment here a little bit. When you, and this is a, partially a joke. You said you put, it was, you're, you're working with HSBC and taking a shot at, at trying to close that deal which would be the, you know, the biggest deal you've ever done. And, you know, relatively new firm, relatively unknown, if I could say. You said you put a lot of chips on black. You know, the, on the roulette, black is a 50-50 bet. That, that wasn't 50-50. You, you, were, you were really going for the... Right, that's you true. Know, you're going for... It's more like putting all your chips on double zero and, and, and hitting it. So that's a much bigger yeah. accomplishment, right? I would, I would say our biggest accomplishment... Well, they've all been amazing. If, if you, in hindsight it's extraordinary. And it was not a master plan. Our biggest hey, Don't sell yourself short. What's extraordinary? BNY, <laughs> well, BNY Mill and Pershing was really a wonderful accomplishment because it's a um, very prestigious firm. It, it's a gold standard. And um, it, it was a wonderful collaboration with the highest ranks of that organization and even BNY Mill. And so that was, that was the biggest bet because what if they didn't fulfill their desire to, to do the APIs and the partnerships for a small organization? That was, that was a huge bet for us, but it has proven to be very rewarding because it enabled, you know, the fifth largest bank in the world to successfully onboard and deploy. And that, that is a real testament to HSBC and, um, you know, Pershing in the way that, the three companies were able to work together. And I think what that demonstrates, which I think is often lost in the media, is how important the back-end integrations are. Because what's nice when you partner with the big custodians, it doesn't matter which one it is, the client is already familiar with the way the business activities are. So it really quiets a lot of the noise and a lot of the decision-making because the rules of engagement are already there. And when you successfully integrate fully into a platform, you really are creating rails or piping that enables you to use them over and over again. So uh, what's interesting is the piping that we use for one large global institution is the same piping we can use for a regional credit union or community bank. And that, that has tremendous efficiencies. It enables us to be very competitive um, with cost and delivery. Uh, but it took a it took a lot of work up front, Craig, and we were very very fortunate that it worked out as well as it did. Uh, indeed, and so you're talking about the rails and the piping that can be used. Uh, do you see a lot of uptake in digital advice? You, know, you see uh, with larger banks, you can see why they would need that. But are community banks and credit unions also seeing the same need for digital advice? And and there's the same. Are they accepting it and deploying it at the same rate? Well, that's what's, that's what's exciting is that when you're early, you spend a lot of time evangelizing, and you you know you're one of the most well-regarded people in the space and have followed it from inception. And you know you know a lot of institutions that keep coming to like the proverbial boat show, but haven't necessarily still bought a boat. I think what's changed this year is it's absolutely on everyone's you know, roadmap for 2000, you know, 2020, which means they have to make a decision, you know, in the next two quarters or three quarters. 
And so now I think you are seeing everyone wanting a digital platform. It's more become digital engagement because some people are you are recognizing that the the account onboarding process we use for wealth management really has many other use cases, whether it's for a mortgage application, banking, lending, other service lines. So they're really trying to use these sort of front end platforms like Marstone that have back end connectivity to take out redundant systems and streamline data uh, collection as well as you know multi-purpose uses for uh, different account opening documents or applications. So that that's sort of interesting. What but you, what's really interesting is that so many community banks and credit unions want to extend offerings and services to their members or their clients. And wealth management more and more is be, being um, regarded as a very important uh, tool and strategy for that for a couple of reasons. One, it enables them to have a broader offering to their clients. Two, it enables them to extend wallet share or what they now probably call phone phone share because it's mostly app driven and whatnot. And thirdly, like we're seeing this, obviously the wealth transference pick up. And so you're seeing boomers who've been entrepreneurial or have liquidity events who may have worked with a regional bank or a community bank or credit union, but if there's not wealth management there, they run the risk of losing significant deposits. And certainly uh, if the money's distributed to the next generations, uh, if they don't already bank there or have a wealth management relationship, it's seen as a great vulnerability to institutions. So I think more and more you're seeing the community banks, credit unions, regional players who are actively looking to find the right digital partner for for them. For some of them, they have trust business already and they want to expand into traditional law. Others may have relationships with an LPL, a Terra, or someone else where they have a revenue share or referral agreement. But others, and this is what makes our partnership with Pfizer, you know, and potentially other cores really interesting, is there are so many banks that would like to have wealth management, but don't want to necessarily take on the fiduciary responsibility or build out that architecture. And so Marstone, in addition to being a digital wealth platform, is also an RAA. And we have the ability to be a wealth management partner, sort of off the shelf, if you will. And we can do referral arrangements or revenue shares with banks who want to offer that extended service line, but don't necessarily want to take that all in-house. And one of the beauties of this financial technology evolution or revolution is that the services and platforms that were previously only available to the largest bulge bracket firms because they were costly to integrate or um, expensive to deploy are now being able to be absorbed and deployed by really small shops because it's been very streamlined. And that's very exciting. It really, it really enables people that don't have big IT departments or huge budgets for this to be, you know, really strong competitors and participants in the space. So I, I think it's becoming table stakes. And I think that the universe of people who are interested in deploying these strategies is that much greater. And I'd add that, you know, some of the collaborations we're doing with outside asset management companies and others who want to distribute through Marstone, they certainly recognize that too. They recognize that, you know, Marstone and other platforms have the ability to touch a bunch of community banks, credit unions, and RAs and family offices that they otherwise were not necessarily going to be sending wholesalers to, but they definitely want to be able to service. So when you're talking about um, allowing credit unions, community banks, and other 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 types of uh, smaller banks to be able to outsource their fiduciary responsibilities for wealth management. And you're, you're running up against all the TPMs, like you mentioned, the LPL, Sotero, because that's exactly what they're doing. 
And they're, they're mm -hmm. putting people, you know, the, the wealth management person sitting at the branch isn't that bank's employee. It's a, they're an LPL employee or a Sotero employee. Uh, and it's, they're dual hatted, as they say. So, you know, that's a bit of a, that's a little bit harder to, to get into that and to, dis, to, displant, uh, to supplant that relationship. So do you see credit unions not being satisfied with the current, their current TPMs and they're looking for more of a digital partner? I think if the TPM does not have a, an intuitive, inviting, and pleasurable digital experience, that is a vulnerability for the TPM. And so I think all institutions as part of their digital strategy and wealth management is just one leg of that stool are taking all of that into consideration. Now, some of the big TPMs have already engaged with other digital platforms and are less inclined to be open architecture. Uh, others do want to be open architecture because maybe they aren't totally in love with the first platform that they partnered with. I agree with you that it's hard to supplant uh, that segment of um, wealth manager. And that's not something that Marston is actively looking to do. But we are being approached by a number of banks who want to revisit those relationships and are revisiting the breadth of services, both you know, human capital as well as uh, technology that those TPMs offer. And what's also interesting is I think that you're seeing a lot of RAs who are going through their own M&A process, but are also now trying, they are actually trying to compete with that TPM market. So you have these ever-growing regional RAs or local RAs who now want to be collaborate with the community banks, the credit unions, or the regional banks. And that's something that we are actually seeing uh, pick up a bit, as well as hearing a lot of private equity firms who are interested in you know, acquiring RAs and then potentially uh, working with banks or selling them to banks. So that's really interesting, Margaret. RIAs are looking to get into the TPM space, because right? we know from statistics, you know, the work we've done in research, that 80% of uh, most banks don't have their own broker-dealer. So 80% of the banks that don't have their own broker-dealer work with a TPM. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a locked-up market. So the RIAs, what kind of RIAs are trying to compete in this space? Usually they're regional and they have some sort of uh, relationship with a, a larger affiliation group or, you know, there's some, there's some sort of nexus there. But we, we are seeing more and more, I'm not saying it's a huge trend, but it's, in, but it's, let's say, more than one. We are seeing a number of RAs who, you know, they have local banks or, or credit unions that are looking for this sort of service. And there's already this sort of local known entity Hmm. Um, that the bank feels comfort with. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting observation. I want to take a little break from this episode to talk to you about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit. You can find them at investinothers.org. And they look to raise money and give out awards to charities that are sponsored by financial advisors. So it's financial advisors, uh, favorite charities, charities that they spend a lot of time supporting. So Invest in Others looks to get sponsorships from the industry and funnel that money to advisors' favorite charities. I really like this, this charity uh, and this nonprofit. I think you should take a look at it. Again, investinothers.org. They've got a couple other programs. One is a Grants for Good program. 
again, delivering money to different needy organizations and needy groups. They're also starting a corporate awards program, which is going to be a little bit different, but still within the industry. Uh, Another way for financial services, uh, wealth management corporations to help uh, donate money to people in need. So I really like Invest in Others. I think you should take a look at it. Invest in Others. Let me spell this for you. I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N-O-T-H-E-R-S dot O-R-G. One other thing you mentioned, is there on your roadmap uh, the ability to open a mortgage, to, to initiate a mortgage application through Marstone, or is that just something you're interfacing with and sending data to them? Marstone is pretty clear that we're in what it's good at and what it, it's not good at. So Marston is designed so that we can be agnostic to different services, different back-end vendors, different what have you. A, a really wise senior executive at a, multi, you know, a mega regional bank uh, said to us about a year ago, you started off in wealth management, and that makes a lot of sense because that's where you came from. And you know, at the time, robo-advisors were the hot thing, and people were talking about that. And we never considered ourselves a robo-advisor. We always thought we were multi-segmented in terms of the clients that we can serve and having been a former financial advisor and the daughter and sister of a financial advisor, I'm certainly not looking to disintermediate advisors. But what he said was, your client onboarding process and your decision tree and all that, you start off in wealth management, but it has universal application. And what all of the institutions are realizing, whether they adopted the robo phase or they're now coming back to market um, to take a look in phase two. They all know that they have to have a ubiquitous front end, meaning there has to be, everything has to be user centric and the client experience can't be inconsistent from mortgage to credit, to payments, to um, lending, to wealth or trust. So he was looking at us and his organization was looking at us from what you do and the data that you capture, how many additional fields do we have to add to now have sort of one centralized account onboarding system that could open multiple services? So those are things that I'm finding now that we would say, I don't know what you would say, Craig, are we in vintage two or vintage three of this whole digital um, yeah, journey? That's a question. And- Margaret, when we're talking about the, the different waves of the robo advisor and digital advice revolution, what, what what wave would you say we're in now? I would say that we're probably in wave three. So uh, wave one was the innovators such as Betterment and Wealthfront and others. Uh, wave two was the adoption of the innovation by the incumbents. So that's where you would have Vanguard, Schwab, Fidelity, others. Uh, and then third, I think is where digital, the innovation, um, that Betterman and other people in Marston forged, I would say now is ready to be absorbed and utilized by really every financial institution. So now I think you will find super regional banks and big wirehouses uh, also in the ranks, even community banks and credit unions, you will find as strong competitors in digital. I think that digital wealth has to be one leg of the digital strategy a bank might have. So it's going to be payments, it's going to be mobiles, Uh, It's going to be banking and it's going to be wealth management. They have to be coordinated together because it has to be driven according to the expectation and desire of the user, of the end user. And to date, we have not designed digital strategies like that. But going forward, we have to. So when you look at digital 
like Marstone or others, you have to look for a partner that not only has uh, awareness of integrating to large custodian uh, backends, but they really also have to have a keen understanding and some sort of relationship embedding by the banking platforms. Because right now, we have tons of client data. It's just sitting in siloed uh, applications and legacy systems that traditionally have not talked to each other. And the, the goal now through APIs and, and other um, technology strategies is how do we extract this data that we currently have as an institution about our clients? And how do we make the experience better and not have them answer all the same questions they answered five years ago when they opened their first banking account and now they have to open their wealth management account or whatnot. So I think it's becoming more and more digital engagement. Wealth management or digital platform like Marstone is just one participant in that overall strategy. And we, we have to have fluency uh, in the other activities that a user has at an institution, but also the legacy systems and other uh, vendors that the institution is currently using. Does that, does that make sense? It does. But let me throw a counterpoint. Uh, we'll do sure. a point counterpoint here. So you say phase three is banks. <laughs> so I say phase three is... Well, I think, it's, I, think it's a, I think it's a richer universe. I think it's a richer mm -hmm. universe of... And you may have missed this when we talked earlier, but the vintage one, like I said, it was the, the, people call it disruptors. Vintage two was the incumbents utilizing the innovation. Phase three is it's just a broader universe of people that are actually now able to compete. Um, and that will include banks and credit unions and insurance companies. Right. I understand that, but I don't think so. Okay. I think that, well, yes, it is true that you're, you're having, it's, it's, it's expanding. So at first it was just the disruptors. And then the second wave, you had Vanguard and Schwab, and then the big guys stepped in and took over and now it's spreading. But I think in terms of, you know, and when, when it becomes ubiquitous, it's, it's part of a wave, but I'm thinking of a wave of disruption. And so Vanguard came and disrupted, right? They, they really changed the market for digital. So banks, I don't see, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see banks changing the market. I see the apps changing the market, like Acorns, Moneyline, Stash, other apps, which each, each one of those, I think Acorns has got almost 5 million users, Moneyline's got 4 million users, uh, where they're really changing the digital advice. They've all come at it in a different way where, uh, they started at, uh, like Acorn started at as a uh, micro savings and moved into wealth and banking. Moneyline started in banking as moving into wealth. So, how do you see those apps impacting the, the work that banks are doing? I think that they have done a tremendous job of demonstrating to the industry how best to engage a client and onboard them seamlessly and not over architect the process. I think that they really nailed a lot of important psychological and emotional, you know, hurdles that a, a financially innocent person has when they walk down the path of exploring investments or planning or anything to do with money. Um, they really simplified it, made it very human and very quick and gives the user a tremendous sense of accomplishment. So those are extraordinary feats. Disruption, I always struggle with the word disruption because it, it, it makes me feel like we're trying to break something or um, it, it's binary, like one person's good and one person's not, um, and one person's going to win and one person's not. I, I think that we're just in a huge wave of transformation. Banks and insurance companies and credit unions, 
they they all too want a better experience. They just don't necessarily know how to do it um, because they're highly matrixed or they're beholden to a lot of those legacy systems. So I think those apps are tremendous. And I think, again, you're going to find the incumbents utilizing them and learning from them. So I don't know that the banks are going to be disrupted or any one of these digital innovators is going to really disrupt. Um, that's my belief. I think the apps um, are going to be utilized and copied or purchased by other large technology players or banks. But we, but they will continue, as innovation always does, will continue to influence and teach the incumbents. So I oftentimes think of um, fintech where we are now as, you know, remember pharmaceuticals and biotech, like in the early 2000s, where big pharmaceutical companies were buying their R&D by, you know, buying companies like Genentech or things of that nature. And, and that's naturally going to what is going to happen in our space, too. And we're already seeing a lot of consolidation. But this idea of disruption and the app being suddenly on the top of the leaderboard, I don't see that, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the behavior and attrition and the AUM when we have massive periods of volatility. I think we have to look at what is the intention of the app and the user of those apps. Is it just a savings vehicle? Is it, um, is it a true investment vehicle? And I don't know that we know that yet. Well, I see them differently that, that I know at least okay. on the Acorn side, they've not just mediated, but they've, they've changed the, the discussion where it's not about their saving. They've created a savings app, but the experience isn't focused on the savings. The experience is focused more on uh, education, uh, brands, uh, the, the whole rounding up uh, function where you're, you're becoming a little, little bit gamified. So it's not, they don't talk about retirement necessarily in, uh, in front, front and center. So they're helping people learn to save and, and creating a savings, uh, uh, a savings process without pushing it right in their face and saying, well, we're all about wealth management. That's sort of behind the scenes. So they're building a habits and educating very well. Moneyline does a great job educating as well, uh, but, but without pushing the, the whole savings retirement kind of thing to the forefront, which I think a lot of people necessarily don't feel like they're ready for that's, that's how I see them, them changing the conversation. Oh, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's right. A lot of people can't even really think about retirement, you know, or, or don't even imagine it being ever a possibility for them. If for one, because maybe they don't ever want to retire in the, what we've traditionally thought about retirement. Um, they might want multiple second acts. But I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. And, and I think they've done a wonderful uh, job of, empowering people to see that they can do it and show them a path. Uh, over time, I do believe that the wants of a client become broader as their needs become broader and more sophisticated in their complexities of their liabilities and their assets. But again, um, I think that's transformative and I don't know that it's singular to those guys. I think it will be adopted and, and um, absorbed by many people. So I don't, mm -hmm. That, that's my viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And Vanguard is just such an extraordinary company, and um, they've, they've, they have an incredible value base, a, an incredible corporate identity, um, brand recognition. It's a trusted company, um, almost like no other. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I don't know that they were disruptive though in robo. It just was so natural for them to be able to uh, transition, you know, their offering to to that. And so I don't know if that's disruptive though. Well, it, w- it remains to be seen. You can't tell what's disruptive until mm-hmm. it disrupts something. <laughs> right. But, but the um, I wanted to just segue back to something you said earlier that you're a former FA, former financial advisor, and you're the daughter mm-hmm. and sister of financial advisors. So is your mm-hmm. mother or father a financial advisor and one of your siblings is a financial advisor as well? That's right. My dad is still a financial advisor and my brother, one of my brothers, is a financial advisor too and recently um, joined our dad's team. That's great. You know, for, you know, for some reason, I, I tend to think in movie quotes. And when you said, I'm a <laughs> advisor, I'm a daughter of an advisor, I'm a sister of an advisor, Remind me of my cousin Vinny, where um, she's on the witness. There's like my father's a mechanic, my uncle's a mechanic, my three brother-in-laws are mechanics. Like, Sorry, yeah, movie. Yep. No, it's good. It's a great Marissa Tomei quote where she Tomei. says, "Oh yeah, awesome. you really blend." Yeah, yeah, yeah you blend. <laughs> we can do movie quotes all day. <clears throat> we'll never get through the yep. interview. <clears throat> but uh, on other trends you're seeing in digital advice. So let me let me uh, expertly segue into uh, back and in, back into the interview. But, uh, tell me about your BlackRock partnership. That's a big announcement. Yeah, so BlackRock is a leader in asset management, clearly, and they were interested in in distribution, new ways of distribution, and uh, they I think saw that the partnerships Marstone has, as well as the integrations and the backends like interactive brokers and. Uh, Pershing and Fiserv and some of the people that we were working with, I think they found that in, in addition to their great internal platforms, that they were also they were still eager to distribute to as many platforms as possible and to touch as many parts of the country or globe as possible. And I think they saw us as a, a great distribution partner, one of many, um, because clearly they're at all the major wirehouses and whatnot. But they. What's interesting about BlackRock and J.P. Morgan is when those guys make a decision, it really is sort of the leaders ringing the bell and everyone sort of follows suit. So when you have people that you would think would have potentially been protectionist saying, or, you know, we're only going to work within these borders or we're not going to break rank. But when they actually start partnering with the innovation or investing or backing them, that is a real call to the street and, and the masses. And that, that really galvanizes people. Um, and so I think with when they did that, uh, and Goldman has done that, um, and uh, Alliance Bernstein's doing that, I think that's when you start seeing you, your phone starts ringing a lot um, with other manufacturers, even in new asset classes that no one would have really thought about for digital before, whether okay. it's alternatives or, mm-hmm. you know, alternatives. And I think that you have um, manufacturers and underwriters of, you know, fixed income. Mm-hmm. Uh, corporate debt, municipal debt, especially you know, with this administration in some of the areas of the country that are uh, feeling tax burdens in a way that they haven't before. I think you're seeing a real interest in you know laddered bond portfolios. How are you going to yeah, because you know, a laddered the thing bond is, portfolio in the, in the digital advice uh, channel? I think you will see all of the original um, asset classes that you traditionally only got through a, a family office or an RA or a wealth management company, I think you're going to start seeing all of it distributed through digital platforms. Uh, are you guys, is that on your roadmap? No, I just think it's one of the many <laughs> no, you know, we're convers- not conversations. Like, so we're saying, going to do it. Not us. 
Sorry. No, no, no. But we, like, but I said, like, we met with <laughs> met with real estate. We met with tons of firms mm-hmm. that you you'd be really surprised that they are interested in their own digital storefronts or or distributing through digital front ends like Marston. Mm-hmm. I think that would be incredible if they could. Um, if you can get some of these other asset classes through digital, it's just uh, it's a, it's a it's a big lift to be able to to deliver that. But it's not a un, un, unforeseeable that it could happen as you, as the as digital device expands into other uh, demographics and you have higher net worth, putting more of their assets in, then you could move into some of these other asset classes. They're just harder to uh, sell digitally because they often require explanation. It requires a bit more of a holistic view of the client's assets and their goals, which you don't often get through the digital channel. Yeah, I think you're. I think that's right. Uh, the way we see digital is really digital engagement and di- digital distribution. So, again, it could be wealth management. It could be other things. It can be distribution. But this is the new medium. It's sort of like online shopping, right? Amazon conquering or or whatnot. Saying, this is the this new is more like the home shopping network. No, I'm definitely not saying that. Um, but what, <laughs> what I'm saying, you, oh, is, Margaret, you know, what are you saying? You and, you, you and I are old enough to remember in two in 2000 when people thought the internet was dead, of and course. it wasn't dead. But that's where you know a lot of people have asked, like, is Robo dead? And it's mm. it's just not necessarily the right question. It's is digital engagement dead? And absolutely not. I mean, digital engagement and distribution is a huge cost savings. A mechanism and it's a huge uh, risk mitigator, and it offers tons of t- uh, efficiency. So that's what that's what is so exciting, and I think more and more everyone's looking to cut costs because what's interesting is the client, the retail client, wants everything free on the front end, right? But yeah, the fixed lines of dis- the fixed lines of distribution, whatever the whatever they are, whether it's you know, mutual funds being available at a bank or a wirehouse or whatever it is, those fixed costs have not really come down. And more and more, you're seeing people that are trying to distribute in a more cost-effective way and not have someone in their back pocket. And if we are seeing this transformation where more and more uh, advisor teams are going independent or setting up family offices and whatnot, there has to be new means of delivery to these teams. It's you know, unfortunately, because of the word robo, people look at it just for the financially innocent or the millennials or small balance accounts. But if you look at interactive brokers, you look at Schwab or some of these others that have always had very sophisticated, affluent people self-directing, um, there's no reason why we're not going to be getting, you know, other means of distribution to these family offices and, and whatnot. So that, for me, I just think it's an evolution play. And that's where I think the market is going. So you mentioned uh, Schwab and interactive brokers and sophisticated clients who are self-directing. You know, Schwab has got their own robo, of course. And mm-hmm. that's, do you see, well, we don't hear much from interactive brokers, but those, those kind of firms more, sit more in the background. Are, are they going to be making more of a splash with digital and will other forms of other types of clients, other types of, of, of segments start uh, engaging with digital more? I think so. So we're partners and fully integrated with digital uh, with interactive brokers, and they have an incredible footprint of countries that they cover. 
And we're seeing a lot of interest from their clients, both domestically and internationally, who want digital. I do think you will see these these firms that have incredible piping, um, you know, that is currently utilized by hedge funds and um, RAs and and whatnot. I, de- I definitely think when those companies, the family offices or RAs or asset managers who um, are on interactive brokers or other uh, Schwab's platform or someone else's platform, you will, you will see them launching their own digital strategies. So, um, and I do think you'll see them make a big push just like you've seen Apex and others make a big push that, you know, are relatively new. So you mentioned Apex. Are there any other custodians that you guys are planning on supporting? What's on your roadmap? We are, we've been in talks with all of them and we all have agreed that more or less when there is a client that wants us to um, integrate to one of the other major custodians, we'll do that. And we're in some of those conversations and I'm scoping right now. I'm not in a position to... Which custodian are you you talking to? All of them? (laughs) All of them, pretty much. But you you appreciate this because you have to do, you have to get to the end of job of where you are and you have to do a really good job there and demonstrate proof points. And then then it makes sense to do other integrations, but you have to be careful not to be building endless connectivity that doesn't necessarily have demand on it. So that's, you know, we're just being mindful. And I think the other custodians and other cores and other people are doing that too. Um, There's this illusion of choice that there's so many platforms like Marstone that really aren't. And um, so all of the big custodians and cores would be happy to work with any of us if, if, if a mutual client, um, wants to use our platform. And I think that's where we all agree upon at this point. Yeah, that's always the easiest way. Wait for the client to come by and then then get it going. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the early days, you had to have the plumbing first to get the clients. Now, we've proven that and we've proven that we can do very complex integrations with some of the largest financial institutions in the world. And so there's confidence that, you know, we would be a good partner for other custodians and, and other vendors yeah it's 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 the world is changing and if, if you can get them to agree that yeah we'll build it and then we'll go that's definitely easier an easier lift for you because you know you've got a client in the bag rather than building it and hoping you can find somebody margaret you've you've been very gracious with your time and i appreciate you talking to me and and giving me this interview for the podcast i thought we got a lot covered um we, we, we i have a lot more questions left we have to schedule another another call Excellent. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it and uh, very much appreciate you having me on your podcast. Thank you. You're welcome, Margaret. Thanks again. Hey, everyone. It's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.